Amen. So Psalm 66 is uh, where we'll start off, and this is a psalm of praise to God for his awesome works. Verse 1 says, To the chief musician, a song, a psalm. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. So it starts off by saying, make a, sh a joyful shout um, to the Lord and uh, all, all the earth. Why? Because he is good. <laughs> you know, when, when we think of a, 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 a joyful shout to God, if, if we reflect on who God is, the joyful shout would be easiest. Right. When we understand who he is and what he's done for us, the, the joy that should be stirring in our hearts uh, as a result of that uh, will will make us to to cry out and, and, to, and to praise him. And uh, it's uh, talking here in, in verse two, it says, sing out the honor of his name, make his praise glorious, the honor of his name. Uh, even if our culture doesn't respect the Lord, uh, you know, think of where we're at in this culture. Uh, where it's uh, it's uh, it was just uh, talking to a brother this morning about uh, a situation that he faces that when he is uh, in a specific spot and he's talking with others as soon as anybody can say anything that is their God um, or anyone that is their God but as soon as the name of Jesus is brought up eyes roll heads turn and there's body language that's seen there uh, that that our culture has rejected God and that we're in a spot right now that that it's it's an unpopular thing to do to share God's name and and to specify who God is. You know, it's easy to just say God because many people are are they'll they'll just say yeah the God of uh, of my understanding or the God of whatever you know and uh, they they can get to that point where you know they're not going to get offended until the name of Jesus Christ is said when when His name is said sing out the glory uh, sorry the honor of His name. You know, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So when we when we personify, we, we, we call him Jesus Christ, we say Jesus Christ is my God. That's when, you know, the hairs on the backs of necks go up or, or the, you know, the, like the dog does. The, what are they called? The haunches, the hackles, the what? Are hackles. Yeah, the hackles, right? When the dog does this and or a cat does it and they walk sideways and stuff like that. People are doing that internally, right? They're getting fired up. They're getting intimidated. Because of the name of Jesus Christ. It's not popular to bring up Jesus' name. That's all the more reason for us to do that. That, that the truth would be known. That Jesus Christ would be known. Uh, that, that we would be able to, to, to share who he is and honor his name. He's the one that is, has preserved us and, and uh, the one that we can cry out to in praise. This is make, praise, make his praise glorious. Uh, understanding that praise is about him, not us. That's, that's why we praise. Uh, we praise him for who he is. We don't, we don't praise him and try to like gain something from our praise there. We praise him as make his praise glorious. So when we're praying, it's bringing glory and honor to him. Sorry, we're praising. It's glory and honor to him. Uh, unfortunately, even today, uh, you consider worship teams. You know, worship teams, uh, when you think of it, there's the, the, the mood lighting. There's the fog. There's the... Uh, we have to make this a show, and and when it's showy, it's going to draw people in. And but what it does is, instead of making people focus on the Lord, what it ends up doing is puts the focus on the band. Wow, they really nailed it today, and you know this and that, and the lighting was just so, and they had the aura music in the background, and 
and you feel like you're floating or something, right? But the, the, the glory is supposed to go to Jesus Christ. The glory goes to God, not to us, not to any of us. Uh, so make his praise glorious. Glorify him. Not the band, not the church, not the pastor. The praise of God is to be glorious. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. He is the one that gives us victory. So when we when we can cry out, when we think of where it says, how awesome are your works, you know, what God has made, what he has done for us in our lives. When we're going to say, I remember as a kid, for me, the word awesome came out during, it was like some movie. Uh, that came out, and I'm like, oh, I think it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think it was the Ninja Turtles. When they came out, awesome, like it's just how they said it. So I just thought the word was, you know, awesome, tubular, radical, all those things. But when you think of awesome, something that's aw like awestruck, when you're awestruck by something, you're amazed by something. This would be this would be a a, a proper uh, spot for that, that, that awesomeness of God uh, when we're trying to think of how great he is. That he's the he's the one. I mean, we say awesome about a lot of things, but he's the one that we can say awesome of, and his works are the ones, uh, the the things that that we can look at and say, uh, you know, awesome are your works, Lord. Uh, the when it says here, uh, through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Battles belong to God. We need to stand firm in our faith and ready to take uh, it apart if God calls us to. Uh, but, you know, we win because of his works and his power. Then the enemy submits, right? Uh, that That's that's where the victory is, is in the Lord. How many times do we see Israel get all caught up in themselves and go out and get their butts kicked and come back because they went out not in a proper relationship with the Lord? Their, their hearts and minds were far from God, so they found themselves in a spot where they, they, they were going out in their own strength and they weren't getting the victories they should have had uh, if they were walking with God. But when God's uh, greatness and his power take care of every, everything, the enemy submits. We, we're seeing this in our Wednesday study, right, uh, as we're going through Exodus. And we're seeing the enemy uh, at that point was Egypt. And we finally saw them get to a point of submission uh, after God had poured out his ten plagues on them, right, and because of God's awesome power not because of how great uh, Moses and Aaron were or anything like that. It was God displaying his power and showing his judgment and pouring out his judgments upon them. And he makes it very clear. All of this is happening so that his name would be glorified, that his that everybody would understand his power. And uh, so uh, in, in what he did was defeat all of their false gods that they uh, were trusting in, and he made them look like fools, and he even used their uh, their imagery that they would use for their idolatrous worship uh, against them. You know, oh, you want to worship a god that looks like it's got a, a man with a with a frog head? Here's some frogs. You know, you're gonna find them in your mixing bowls. You're gonna find them everywhere you go when you're trying to sleep. All those things. You know, God God beat all of those things down uh, to because he was showing his power and his might. Verse 4, all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. The Lord is, is worthy of worship for what he has done. God doesn't have anything else to continue to, to like, for, well, okay, what, it, you guys remember that song, uh, 363? 
uh, look what you've done for me, my Lord. You know, the whole song is look what you've already done. We don't have to go. God doesn't have to continue to prove himself to us every day. So we find new reasons to praise him. Everything that he's already done uh, in creation and what he's done in our lives and what he's done for us in victory over sin. Guys, that's that's worthy of praise for eternity. Right. You ever opened up and get into, uh, you know, dive into a, a study in Revelation and we see the elders bowing down and and we see uh, everyone who's there where it says 10,000 upon 10,000 and thousands of thousands of people there. They're praising God for who he is and what he's done. They, they're, they're, he's, he's already done all these things. So it's not like we need to wake up every day and go, OK, Lord, do something that would make me praise you. The fact that you woke up and were breathing that day is enough to praise him, right? For what he does for us, right? So when we get to the point where uh, hopefully we don't get to that point where we're trying to find reasons to praise him, it, we, we should all worship him anyways. You know, how gracious and loving he is. And, uh, you know, come and see uh, the works of God, it says in verse 5. He is awesome in his doing towards the Son of Man. It's written all through the scripture. We can't grab our Bible and start reading it with the right mindset and not just praise his name and thank him as we're reading through. It doesn't matter what we're reading. You know, the Lord's going to reveal himself to us. Verse 6 says, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river uh, on foot. There we, will, uh, there we will rejoice in him. So speaking of Israel's deliverance from their oppression, and God caused the waters to part from them. Uh, he caused the Jordan to stop for them. Uh, when the the water would have been raging at that time, you know that it's a reminder to us in those times where He showed Himself strong. Uh, you know we can be quick to forget, like Israel was, what God has done for us, right? Uh, we we can get to that point where, yeah, well, you saved my life here, and you, you saved me with this, or you saved me with that. But uh, but we can be so forgetful, and we see Israel. And as you're studying, the encouragement I have for you, and I think you've probably already figured out. Is if you if you're reading and you get frustrated with Israel, how could they not? Guys, put your name where Israel is, <laughs> right? If we put our name there, we're gonna see there that like, oh, oh yeah, I did forget. Oh yeah, I do have a stiff neck and a hard heart at times. And those things, if we're if we're looking at God's word in the light of how we could put ourselves in that place, I mean, that's that's gonna revolutionize the way we look at the scriptures. Understand that, yeah. I've done the same thing because if we look at them, I never, as soon as you say, I never, you're, you, we know we're done for, right? Because we've done, it, right? Or we're going to do it because we're just sinful beings. We have sin in us that God purges out and he has to continue to build us uh, to maturity. But man, if we look at things uh, in the lens of, Hey, I'm, I'm just like Israel and uh, I can turn even it, especially when we say I would never, and I'm never again going to, Careful now, right? Lord, help me not to return to that. That's a better response, right? That's a better thing in, in that humility and going to God. Because uh, when we make promises, we're not like the Lord. We, we can fail at our promises. Verse 7 says, He rules by His power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. You know, he, he rules by, God rules by his power. Uh, none can challenge him. So, you know, he rules where it says here by his power forever. Who's going to stand in, in power against God? If God rules in his power, who can challenge him? There's none that can challenge him. 
There's the devil. Satan is not God's counterpart. Satan is a a fallen created being. He's not he's not like God's equal on the either on the evil side. There, he's not. He's a created being subject to God's will and God's power. There, he he's nothing to God. God, in fact, God will use uh, angels and say, "Hey, go take care of that." You know, remember uh, when you're looking in the scriptures and you see that, just remember Satan is not God's opposite. Satan is not uh, that powerful. God is the one that is powerful. Speaking of God, his eyes observe the nation. Do not nations do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. You know, God sees Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. God understands. God knows what's going on. When it says here, his eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. God observes. God understands what's happening in this world. You know, the oppression that happens against his people. All those things, are they don't go unseen and they don't go unanswered. It may not be exactly when we want, but God in his perfect timing, as we saw in our study on Wednesday nights, as we saw God was saying to Israel, I've heard your cries, and, I've, and, I've, and, and I'm going to take care of this. It's the same. Don't let the, there's a the prayer there. Don't let the rebellious exalt themselves, meaning they are doing it, God. Take care of them. Don't let them do that. And uh, so we know that God will. Verse 8, oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved? You know, God is the one that preserves us. You know, don't allow our feet to be moved. That cry out to him. Stand firm in him. Uh, where the scripture talks about not slipping or losing our step, where we would ask God to, to broaden uh, what we're walking on, right? So that we don't fall, we don't slip. Uh, that, that whole mindset of trusting in him, for he's the one that keeps us. So we, you know, God, keep my foot from slipping. I don't want to fall. I don't want to slip. I don't want to fall away from you. Just relying upon him keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Uh, that, that God would keep us on his, his path. If there's any broadening of that path, it's him. Because we're walking on that, right, the narrow path, right, that God would give us enough room on that. That our feet won't slip. That's a it's a it's a cool little meditation to look at that. Verse ten, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Uh, just think of the testing and refining of silver. It's not a fun thing to be refined because that means you're getting put in the fire and 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 then brought out and shaped and put back in the fire. That that refining thing that needs to happen. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. We went through these things. You know, we saw these things. We had affliction on our backs. You caused men to ride over our heads. We were subject to people, but God, you brought us through in the end. Where he said, when we, what's being written here is we went through fire and through water. We went through the tests. We went through the trials, and you brought us through uh, to rich fulfillment. Understand that, and we talked about that this morning, didn't we? We talked about the the expectation that we should have of hardship. 
that we we must endure it, right? As as Paul told Timothy, we must expect it as he told Timothy also. And then Peter says, don't be surprised by it. In fact, embrace it. He's saying, and then we when we combine that with what James said, and, and James was, was, was telling us to consider it pure joy because God is perfecting us. He's building us. He's strengthening us. This is what that's talking about here in those verses. We've been tested. We've been refined. We've felt affliction. We've been through fire. We've been through water, but God brought us through. When we can reflect on what has happened in our lives, the hard times, you guys know because sometimes we've had harder times than others, right? Where you're really like, man, I'm really in the fire. Get excited. It's not exciting to be there, but be excited for what's on the other side of it. Because God just doesn't take us and torture us. Be like, ah, oh yeah, that's not hot enough. I'm going to make it hotter just because. That's not like our Father to do so. When we're being refined, when we're when all, just think of the refining, right? Why is the refining happening? To take out the impurities, right? Those impurities being you know, burnt out of us, being taken out, and the dross can be swept away or, or drawn away, and what's left is pure. That's where we're strengthened, where we're purified. That's why we can get excited about a time that's not so exciting. Not an easy process. It's painful, but God is with us and he'll carry us through it. Verse 13, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Yeah, that, that offering of praise as we should. You know, he loves when we turn to him in need. His strength is made perfect in weakness, right? So uh, when, when this is saying this, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I'm going to go into the presence of the Lord and, and, and offer up praise to him. I will uh, pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Right. So that what he's talking about here is I prayed and I said, now, don't don't get me wrong. We are we are not to to swear. Right. We're not to be at the point where I swear to you, God, that there's this or this. What does the scripture tell us? Don't swear. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. But what he's saying here is that prayer that I made and that I would praise you, Lord, I just need you to carry this and I will praise you and I'll bring glory and honor to your name. That when the battle's over, or when that test is over, that's the proper time to bring in that type of worship. To be able to, to, to come in and say, God, you brought me through. When you, you heard my cry, and, and now I'm on the other side of that battle, that, that fire, that trial, and now I can praise you. And I'm praising you as I should because of I can look back and see what you've done. That in that time of weakness, you made me strong, and I was, I was relying upon you. Verse 15 says, I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls and uh, bulls with goats, you know, worship that costs something, you know, a sacrifice. You know, think of think of a, how how valuable something that, that was, uh, you know, when it's talking about fat animals and the sweet aroma of rams, and the offer of bulls with goats. You know, there, there was something to be lost, right? That's the, the point in sacrifice, that you're giving up something so that it costs you something. That, that, we would, that we would understand, you know, following the Lord isn't always going to be easy. And praising his name, uh, when we consider all that he's done for us, that we would be able to look at what we would consider gain and consider it nothing, right? You know, think of what Paul said, I consider everything else rubbish, 
you know, all the, the good things that he had to try to boast in, there was nothing that he could bring to God and be like, God, I'm, all, I'm this good because of this. Is, Paul said, no, all of this is trash. You know, we stand in God's righteousness. And uh, when you consider, you know, the, the Old Testament prophets saying that our righteousness is as filthy rags. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and what that get, gets into is, is a mature audience is, is a monthly rag uh, that, that would be used in a woman in their menstrual cycle. When you consider that our, our goodness, our righteousness, what we have, that's what it's compared to. If we're trying to stand in that, 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 uh, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to be gross about it. I mean, it's a natural thing that happens, but that's the, the comparison, our, that, that those filthy rags that it's being described as. If we're trying to stand in our righteousness, that's what it looks like. Is there, there, there's, we can't stand. We have to stand in his righteousness. Verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. You know, to tell of his goodness uh, to all uh, that will hear, declare uh, what he has done, where it says, for my soul. What has God done for my soul? That's talking about salvation. That's the uplifting of our soul, right? That even after we're saved is, I went through this trial, and I got to tell you, when I went through this, I saw God work in this way and in these ways. So when it says, come and hear all you who fear, fear God, that we would share this with each other. That we'd be able to share. You've got to hear how God just ministered to me. How he took care of this this situation in my life. That God, God took care of it. And we're sharing that with brothers and sisters. All who fear God. We might be able to share that with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And they're going to look at us like we're nuts. Yeah, he was really happy that his car caught on fire on the interstate. Or you know, just crazy things like that. It, 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 but then you're going to be able to say, but this is how God provided. And he offered this opportunity and look what happened. And this, this was the positive outcome of it. And you might get the, you're crazy, you know, but for those who fear the Lord, it's going to sound different, right? It's not going to sound like a fall, like not a fall, like a, 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 um, a language we don't understand, right? Because we, we speak that language of faith to each other and it makes sense. So uh, us Christians, we know what this means, uh, that he saved us and uh, that he's constantly ministering to us. So there are going to be those things that we would declare uh, that he's done for us and done for our soul. Verse 7 says, I cried out to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. You know, uh, Shane was recently sharing James 3. And James 3 is an, uh, an interesting study when you're talking about taming the tongue. Right. And and when there's the, the lesson there that we can't be about cursing men and praising God at the same time, you know, that's that's those those are two different things that shouldn't be tied together. You know, and when James says that if anybody's tamed his tongue, he's a perfect man, tame your tongue, that you could stop your tongue from the stupidity that comes out of it. Right. Right. That that's that's ultimately what he's saying. But when we're using our mouths and our tongue and, and, and what we're saying is actually something that's praising God or we're edifying other people, we're building them up. That's that's where when we're crying out to God uh, with our mouth and uh, he was extolled with my tongue, that that God would be glorified and lifted up by what we're saying. And if we can control, think about what we say, because think about what Jesus said. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him and not that what goes into him, right? Because what comes out of a man is indicative of what's in his heart. 
That's the problem, right? So what comes out of me is a result of what is happening in my heart. It's a it's a product. It's the fruit of what's happening in my heart. So it's what comes out where where Jesus said it, it uh, to the religious leaders when they're just trying to be about weird hand washing and stuff. He's like, you guys have it all wrong. It's what comes out of a man is what defiles him. What we say, you know, that we would use our mouth and our tongue to praise God versus you know tearing down men or being stupid and uh, saying dumb things. Verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. You know, we have choices to make about obedience. And if we make those right choices, we're going to experience God's blessing. Where, where it says here, I regard if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. God corrects us. And and because he loves us, he corrects us. You know, he whom he chastens, he loves, right? So if we're not getting what we deserve, if, we, if we're feeling like our prayers are hindered, then we go to the Lord and say, I'm praying this. Is there something here? And usually, right, we don't need to be reminded. Okay, we have, God, is there some sort of sin in my life? The Holy Spirit's already poured that, you know, revealed that to us. So let's not try to trick God, right? Because he's already convicting of us of it. Because if it's if it's kind of buzzing around just a little bit in your head and you're going, oh, Lord, Lord, if there's anything and it's already there, what he's saying is, is John, <laughs> John, right? That's not doing it, but I'm trying to knock on that, right? Uh, John, you know it's already there. You're just not listening, right? It's there. Just confess it, forsake it, and move forward, right? The God, God will not hear. He's going to get our attention. We can disobey and be chastened. What, is the, what does the scripture say? What did Samuel have to say? He said to obey is better than to sacrifice. Obedience is more important than sacrificing something. It's just better to obey God than to go and, 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 and try to sacrifice the right amount of things to try to you know, gain God's approval. It's not going to happen. He wants our obedience. That's the chief thing he wants from us. The, of course, our love. But in a situation, he just wants us to trust him and obey him and walk with him. But how foolish are we, right? Blessed is him uh, that uh, that he doesn't, uh, sorry, uh, blessed uh, be him that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That 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 mercy here, because look at verse 19 it says, but certainly God has heard me and has uh, he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So blessed is God. Uh, for not turning his face away from us and uh, not turning away our our prayers that we've lifted to him. And what is the key thing? Nor his mercy from me. That God's mercy, that, that, that we cry out to God and we're asking, please don't give me what I deserve, right? We want his grace. We want him to give us what we don't deserve. Uh, but that, that, that mercy, uh, sometimes uh, we'll, we'll forget that. Right. Because we want to stand. We want to walk in grace and everything, because when, when we understand his mercy, not getting what we do deserve, we have to think about what we do deserve. Right. So so when we think about what we do deserve, that reminds us, oh, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Right. Like the tax collector when he went up there with the with the religious leader, you know, the religious leader standing there in his pomp and circumstances. Oh, God, I'm so grateful, God, that I, I mean, basically telling God how lucky he is. To have a guy like him, 
You know, I tithe. I do all these great things. And, and God, you're so lucky to have me that I'm not like this you know, wretched sinner that, that, that is laying here and crying. And what, what does the tax collector say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, it, it, you know, I've said this several times, but who came down justified, Jesus said. He was making a point. The one that could that just cried out to God for his mercy was the one that came down justified because he realized his need for God's mercy. When we trust in God's mercy, you know, he saves us. He's a mighty God. He loves us and he gives us his mercy. He's worthy of praise. Forever wondering, like, if you're at a point where I just don't feel like praising, just think of who he is and what he's done for us. It shouldn't take that long, right? If we have an honest heart, if we sit there and we're lying to ourselves saying, well, I'm really not that bad. I'm not like this guy. I'm not like that guy. But when, you, when, when we compare what we've done against the word of God, and we can look at what God's standard is, perfection, and we understand I'm not perfect and I've failed here and I've failed here, look at 1 Corinthians 6. How many of us can fit into that category, right? Ever been a partier, revelry? Yeah, let's get drunk. Guess what? You're in that category, <laughs> right? Revelation, I mean, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh-oh, uh, that was me, that was me, that was me. And it said that those will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if, that, if, you, if you really just need to look back at salvation, you get to the point where you're all wrapped up in this and nothing's going right, the job isn't going good, this, 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 and this, and we've got all these complaints for God and we're not, we're not thinking about what we do have. Because you know when we started this psalm, what, it, what, is it, uh, what did I say? It says, praise to God for his awesome works. We understand the awesome works that he's done and created around us, but what he does in our lives and when things aren't going good and in that midst of that trial, we don't want to praise him. That's when we need to remember who he is and what he's done for us even more. And because if we're trying to find reasons why we need to praise God, our heart's already in the wrong spot. Right. We, we know we're sick when we start having this symptom and that symptom and those things. Right. We're already experiencing those symptoms. And that's when we go to God and say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and a renew a right spirit within me. That's when we can go because there's something off, right? And we can when we can look back on who God is and we understand uh, how much He's done for us, and we shouldn't have to think too much on what we need to you know meditate on to praise God. Just thinking about salvation every day should bring us to our knees, going, "I don't have to pay the penalty of my sin forever." Every day we could do that all day long. That the penalty of our sin was hell. Separation from God forever. No hope, no light, no nothing. There's no no hope, no I mean, all we're experiencing is judgment forever. We've been chained, we've been lifted out of that, and now we look forward to eternal life. So if we find ourselves wrapped up in the trial and we're stuck, as this was saying, that I was in that trial and <coughs> excuse me, I was going through those hard times, and we look back and we understand, okay, this is for a time. But I've been saved. I've been washed in Christ's blood, and I'm standing free in him and salvation. Oh, we can praise all day. Okay, Psalm 67. We'll move forward here. Getting a little excited. Verse 1 says, To the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm, a song, <clears throat> be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to sh uh, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. A, re a request for God's mercy and blessings. 
that his face would shine upon us. We can pray that every day, right? Lord, would you please bless, lead, and guide me as I go through this day? You know, be merciful to me, bless me, lead me, guide me, and let your face shine upon me. Uh, that, that that prayer would be for us and, you know, for those of our loved ones, our brothers and sisters. That's a powerful prayer. Verse 2 says, that your way may be known in the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You know, when, when you say here that your, when we go back to verse 2, it says, uh, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. What is that salvation available to all the nations? Jesus Christ. When we, If you look at that, especially in, in today, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And where it says your salvation among all nations. Because right in our in our study through Acts, what are we looking at? The Jews thought it was all about the Jews. And then they God starts revealing to them, though, no, I'm, I'm ministering to Gentiles because what did Jesus say? There are sheep uh, that are not of this fold that I'm going to bring in, that they're going to be brought into the fold. And, and, and they maybe just didn't make sense to them at that time. But then as Gentiles start getting saved and then they start rejoicing and they're like, wait a minute, Gentiles can be saved. They can experience the grace and mercy like we can. And that created an excitement. Some, it was jealousy, right? And then they get rebuked by Paul and he's like, hey, you guys want to reject it? I just got to let you know we're taking it to the Gentiles now. All nations. Because when you look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Of all nations. That the gospel was to be spread to everybody, to all nations. I love that. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Your salvation, all, everybody, everybody praise you. Verse 4, O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously. And govern the nations on earth. You know, that righteous judge that we we would ask God to be on our behalf, right? Because when we understand who he is and, and that he's he's paid the penalty that we don't have to stand before a judge and, and speak for our sins that, that Christ has done it, and he's our advocate before the Father. But we want God to righteously judge on our behalf in, as we live out our lives after that, right? So we can call on the righteous judge. You shall judge the people righteously. Proverbs 29, verse 2, probably a familiar scripture to you, says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. You know, Think about that. Because what does it say in the first part of verse 4 of, of Psalm 67? It says, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you shall judge the people righteously. Right? So we can rejoice, as it's saying in Proverbs 29, that when the righteous are, or is in authority, when it says are, it's talking about people there, but when we know God is the overall judge, uh, that He, when he judges, uh, we can rejoice. Because we know we have a, a righteous judge that we know is going to make the right decision. We don't have to... Look at, at God and wonder if he's going to judge righteously because he always does. We don't have to fear that God is going to govern like a sinful man would. We know that God is the righteous judge and we can rejoice and sing. It says be glad and sing for joy because he is uh, the righteous one. Verse 5, 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the earth, uh, and then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, uh, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all uh, the ends of the earth shall hear him. All the ends of the earth are listed here again. The gospel uh, for all being revealed. Uh, you know, they, uh, when you consider what's being said here, you know, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. You know, there's, there's some prophecy uh, woven into what we're reading here. That all the peoples would praise. Because when you consider a Gentile in the eyes of a Jew, they would look and go, well, they're unclean. But what this is speaking of is here, uh, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. All the ends of the earth shall fear him. All the ends of the earth, everybody would hear and, and fear the Lord. Let's move into 68. Psalm 68. The glory of God and his goodness to, to Israel. Now, Many believe this psalm is connected to the Ark of the Covenant returning to Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, Adam Clark, a Bible scholar, had this to say about Psalm 68, because there are some twists and turns where you're like, what does that mean? You know, there's some stuff here that's confusing to many Bible scholars, and, and they're just trying to wrap their heads around it sometimes. And Adam Clark said this, I know not how to undertake a comment in the, of this psalm. It is the most difficult in the whole Psalter. Of all the Psalms, it's the most difficult one. Adam Clark is saying, this one's a tough one to comment on. Because when we get through it, it, it there, it's, 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 a, uh, it's an interesting one. So we're just going to dive into it here. Um, a verse, a verse 1 says, To the chief musician, a Psalm of David, a song. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. You know, God's enemies melting away and being driven away. That 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 what's being said here in the beginning. Remember, this is uh, this is speaking of the glory of God and His goodness to Israel, the victories they've had. Uh, because of God being on their side. And what's being described here is that his enemies have been scattered, <clears throat> that those who hate uh, God have fled before him as smoke is being driven away. Right? If you ever uh, you think of, you know, when uh, a candle, you blow a candle out and you start waving it, that smoke just starts spreading everywhere, right? That's the, the explanation that's being uh, of, of smoke that can be driven away. There's no substance to it. It's very easy to push it away. Uh, as wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish in the presence of God. You know that that they melt in the presence of God. If they're standing against God, their lives are going to be a disaster. They're going to be like smoke that's being easily driven away, or wax that's melting. Verse three. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Just look at those verses we just read. There's so much there. We could spend so much time here. The right where it says, verse three, but let the righteous be glad. The righteous should be glad. We've received 
God's righteousness. All right. So when we say when it's saying the righteous, those that stand in God's righteousness because of our stance with him are in right standing with God because we can stand in his mercy and grace. So let us be glad because of what he's done. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly that uh, that we would uh, praise him. Where it says, sing to God and sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. That's a, a neat thing to look at. You know, soon we know, Christ said it in, Ma in Mark chapter 13, verse 26. He says, then they shall see the Son of Man coming, when he's speaking of the end times, coming in the clouds with great glory, a uh, power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together the elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. That, that we understand that who is it that rides upon the clouds? Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds. He said it himself. I'm coming in the clouds in great glory. That's a, a powerful thing to consider where it says here, extol him who rides on the clouds. We know that Jesus Christ said he was is going to ride on the clouds when he comes back. Rejoice before him, you know, by his name, it says. Verse 5 says, he's a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. He is God in his holy habitation. A father to the fatherless, defender of widows. James tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God is to care for widows and orphans in their troubles. That's pure and undefiled. Why? Because there's nothing we can get from it. How often are we, sometimes, if, we're, if our hearts aren't in the right place, we want to do something for somebody because of a selfish motive that we have, right? We could say, you know what, I'm going to benefit from that. But when there's nothing that that person can do and there's nothing that we can gain back from them and we just go to love on somebody, who's a widow or an orphan, that's so precious in God's eyes that it's described in the scripture as pure and undefiled religion before God. That's a powerful thing to meditate on, the, the, to care for widows and orphans in their troubles. Widows and orphans, those that are struggling, that are going through it. Orphans, they don't have parents anymore. The widow that's residing by themselves. The, the loneliness that's there. Caring for widows and orphans in their troubles. You know, the scripture uh, spoke regarding uh, widows. You know, there were those that would take advantage of widows. Uh, those that are that are susceptible to being. Think, have you ever thought of, so there's this new thing that's out. Uh, somebody at work was telling me about this AI uh, stuff that people are using to scam people and they'll get you to say the word yes with your voice and then they can they can record your word i don't mean to frighten anybody because it is scary they'll record your voice because it's your voice and they'll use it and then they'll do uh like they'll they'll be able to call on your behalf use your voice to authorize payments to themselves or whatever there's some scary stuff out there my mom uh works for uh the state of maine uh in the housing authority uh realm and she cares, she goes and she takes care of uh, people. And she has to bring in law enforcement to, to, to give briefings because the elderly are the easy target. Because they don't understand the technologies of, of today. And, and, and she's, you know, my mom's, uh, you know, in her 70s herself. And uh, I can share, like, I'm 43, so if you just do the math, right? So I'm not, I'm not just calling out my mom's age or anything. 
But my mom's in her 70s herself, but she's a smart woman. And what she do is she'll bring these things to people and say, hey, you can't do that. Don't ever make a payment online when you didn't initiate the phone call, right? All those things. And she has to bring in law enforcement to share. And they'll come in and they'll talk about, hey, they're getting really uh, – they're getting very um, tricky in how they're doing these things. They look for people they can take advantage of. And unfortunately, oftentimes, it's a widow. How wicked is that? They often have nothing, but their heartstrings get played with. And they're like, yes, of course I'd want to help. I don't want to leave that person there. Let me help you. And they'll give them their credit card numbers. And then they get their bank account ripped out. It's awful. You know, the, to have to answer for that, whew, especially knowing that God is a defender of those widows. You think you're getting away with it? Oh, man, that ain't happening. You are going to stand and, and God, is, you know, I pray they repent. God has a lot to say about widows and orphans. Consider Exodus 22, verse uh, 22 through 24 says, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. This is in Exodus, right? This is the, the God that, uh, that non-believers or critics of the Bible will say, that's the Old Testament God. He's a God of blood and wrath and rage and, and all these things. No, this is the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. There's no shadow uh, uh, variation or shadow of turning in God. Right? That's what the scriptures say here. It says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at, out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Okay, if we're, we need a little bit of understanding what that is. How many people, I'm number four of five kids. I knew that if mom or dad heard me cry, my brother was in trouble, right? Same thing as applying here, right? I say my brother, sorry, bud, you know, but the, he was the one closest to me. So he's two years older than me. Who, who's going to beat on me rather than my older brother, right? But uh, even my older two, the, the two older than him, right? And, and when you know, you can kind of, you know, God knows the sincerity of our cries, Right. I'm not going to be able to pull one over on him. But what God is saying is if you afflict them and they cry out to me, you're in big trouble. God is going to be your only hope. And they cry out to me. I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. You want to take advantage of them? I'm going to take you out. And then would you want your wife and to be without a husband? Would you want your, your children to be without a father? That's a stern warning based on God's love for his children. You want to take advantage of God's children, especially the orphan and the widow? You better be ready. And your family you better be ready, and you better apologize to them for what you're afflicting them with and what they've got, the hardship they've got to face. That, that's a stern warning from the Lord. You afflict them and they cry out to me, you're in big trouble. Job 22 verse 9 says, You have, set widow, uh, you have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. God had that indictment to bring. We don't want to hear that, that somebody would send uh, widows away empty and the strength of fatherless uh, being crushed. We're called to support those. Look at Jeremiah 49 verse 11 says, Leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let your widows trust in me. What God is saying, it, th that, that he doesn't need man to provide. 
God doesn't need him to. They're so precious. The widow and the orphan are so precious to God. What does he say? Leave your fatherless children and I will preserve them. If you leave them, I will preserve them. Let your 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 widows trust in me. That that God, they have such a special place in God's heart, place in God's heart that that the widows can trust in him and that the the fatherless children that he is going to preserve them alive. Remember, Jesus brought his atten the attention of the disciples to the woman who was a widow who had two copper coins. All the rich people are coming, making a big deal when they're giving their big gifts and, you know, using the chains. Oh, you know, they got their buckets, right? Because money that, that, that would, you know, paper money that would have folded back then, of course, they used coin. But think about it, right? They're, they're coming with the biggest thing, and they're dumping it slowly, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You think it's done? Oh, that was just the first bag, guys. Hold, hold your applause. You know, that, that's what they wanted, right? And the two the woman that came with the copper coins, two of them, that are worth absolutely almost nothing, Jesus stops everybody and says, you know that widow that just gave everything? She gave everything more than, it gave more than everybody else. Who was the one honored in that? The widow. God made it a point so many times in the scriptures. And, and we're, we're going to keep going. I've still got more verses to share. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Guys, it's all through the scriptures. All through them. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. I love that. <laughs> you know, those that you would think are in, you know, oh, well, you know, their lives are in complete wreck. Oh, no, 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 no. They're the ones that God is going to preserve and he's going to, to protect. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. They're going to find relief and the wicked, their lives are going to be turned upside down. You see, the, there's going to be the, the opposite. They're, oh, yeah, they're done for. And what it says is God brings relief to the fatherless and the widow and that those who thought they stood, their lives are going to be flipped right upside down. Love it. Luke chapter 7, Jesus raised a dead man, uh, a man from the dead, and uh, he's the only son of a widow. You're probably going to remember this. It, will, it won't be up there. Uh, when he saw the dead man's mother, it says that he had compassion on her. and Jesus raised him from the dead and gave him back to his mother. Here's a widow. She has nothing but her son. And she's about to be left with absolutely nothing because that son would be the one that would do the hard things around the house, right? I, I don't know. She might have been a real rugged woman and, and had to learn to provide. But eventually she's going to become so reliant upon that, that man to take care of things for her and provide for her. And if he's gone, where does that leave her but begging? And her scraping by and everything. When Jesus saw her and the pain and anguish she was going through, he had compassion on her. And he raised him from the dead and gave her and presented him, gave him, presented him back to the mother. I mean, that's that's the heart of God. I've got a couple more for you. So uh, Proverbs 15, 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the the boundary of the of the widow. I'm going to read that again because I fumbled through it a little bit. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of a widow. That proud one might be the one that's trying to take over the widow. Like, oh, you don't have enough money. You can't provide for yourself and everything. Just let me take it over. 
You just sell it to me. What are you going to do? I, I don't know the background of what's being uh, said there, but the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Those who are standing and, and they're all proud and maybe even bragging about their homes. But it, what it says here is that you can do everything you want. God's going to take care of that. You know, you're going to you're going to be corrected, <coughs> excuse me, by God. But he's going to establish the boundary that that boundary that maybe the widow is afraid of, afraid of losing or whatever. No, God's going to establish that whatever God establishes. No one's going to take. Nobody's going to be able to tear down. It's going to stand firm because of what God has done. If you consider, would you turn with me to, to 1 Kings 17? I know we're spending a lot of time on the, the um, orphans and widows, but these things uh, were flying at me as I was studying. So when things fly into my, my heart and into my mind and my fingers like can't type fast enough, I believe that's what God is pouring onto my heart. So then they come out here and, and we go here. So I won't even apologize. So 1 Kings 17, verse 8. So there's uh, there's a trouble. There's famine coming on the land. And, and uh, God is, God is uh, going to preserve Elijah. And in a way that you wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect somebody to be sent to a widow to be provided for. So God loves to take what we think would be the right thing and just go, you guys think so? Watch this. Watch this. So let, let's read. First uh, Kings 17 verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So the widow is being spoken to by God and what she's receiving from God is for her to provide for somebody. Now this takes a, a very interesting turn as we go uh, through and, and read it. So verse 10 says, so he arose and went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. <clears throat> so she said, uh, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The famine is running crazy. You know, this is going to be a three and a half year famine. This is a long time, right? And and this widow is getting to the point where she's got nothing left. She has a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She's trying to find some sticks to start an, uh, a meal. This is their, literally their last meal. What she's saying is my son and I are about to starve to death. And what I'm doing here is I'm preparing my last meal. What we're going to see is God was ministering to Elijah and sending him to her and ministering to her and God is going to show his provision to her. It's an amazing thing when God is working amongst two people that believe in him. Verse 13 says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did, a, look at this, verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. 
Guys, it doesn't make mathematical sense. It doesn't at all. But that's what faith is about, right? Faith doesn't make sense sometimes. But that's what it's all about. Like, she's going to make her last meal knowing that's it. This is all I've got. I've got two things two things of bread, right? So I'm going to toast them up, and i got one slab of cheese. We're going to enjoy a grilled cheese sandwich, whatever it is, right? That's it. That's all we have. The cupboards are bare. We've done everything. This is it. We're down to a point of absolute desperation. And then she's called upon by Elijah, by the, by the Lord through Elijah, to be obedient to God's word. And she's obedient here. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Guys, there was enough for one meal for two people. Now there's three people, and there's days' worth of what's being provided for. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke uh, by Elijah. Trust in God, obey his word. There's the provision, there's the, the, uh, there's the um, uh, preservation that God provided. For who? The widow and the, 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 the young man that was about to die. God sent a, a, a prophet that was running for his life. Hey, why don't you go, just go in the well? Go to Zarephath, meet the widow there. She's got nothing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of everything. You be obedient. Tell her to be obedient, and watch me work, right? And what does God do? He provides for them that for many days it says they all ate, and the flour never was used up, and the oil never dried up. That's how God works. How did He do it in the life of a widow? You know, God has a He has an amazing. Heart, one that we, we don't understand, but it's a heart to care for those in need. He, just, he loves to provide. Loves it. Verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound in into pro, uh, who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious uh, dwell in a dry land. So God gives families to those who are alone. Look at the church. Look at the church. This is a family here. None of us are alone. You know, none of us none of us live lives without friends, family. You know, God is our father that makes us related in God. So none of us are familyless. Oh, what a blessing. God sets his solitary in families. Grab them, oh, you need a family? There you go. <laughs> it's really cool. Really cool and brings out those who are bound into prosperity, you know, bound, captive. Uh, so you go from captivity to increase, you know, uh, from not having any any freedom to plenty of freedom in him. God loves to take what's broken and put it back together, doesn't he? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. You know, the ungodly and rebellious are not so. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, Right? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We can look at witchcraft and know that that's bad. But when we consider the rebellion that resides in our hearts sometimes that we have to like deny, that rebellion, if we, if we give into it, it's the same thing as witchcraft. That's scary, <laughs> right? When we look at our sin and go, whoa, that's equal to witchcraft. There's no way I would have done this, this, or this. You know, witchcraft, but rebellion is the same thing in God's eyes. 
The ungodly and re rebellious will experience a dry land. They're withered. There's no fruit. No fruit. There's the 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 thirst that that's always there, never satisfied in rebellion. They want to be rebellion. They're never going to experience the quenching that God offers. Verse seven. Oh God, when you uh, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O oh God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. We, uh, uh, Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O oh God, provided from your goodness for the poor. So God going before his people. Remember, uh, God went before them uh, as they're wandering in the wilderness, a pillar of smoke and fire uh, to provide light and to provide shelter for them or warmth uh, from, from the light also. You know, God is strong and mighty fighting for them. Verse 8, it says God's presence was... Uh, is, um, God's presence uh, was for, uh, I got to go back and read it. I'm sorry. The earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of uh, a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary, that, that God's presence was what they needed. You know, it, it wasn't, yes, they needed rain, but there's nothing we need more than the presence of God. You know, when when we understand, you know, have you ever heard the the, the saying, "Me and my God make a majority," uh, where it can be the world. Remember, like in Psalm three, you know, uh, I will not be afraid of ten thousand people that set themselves all around me. Uh, me and my, if I've just got God, I don't know how the map works. But you know, when you consider when we look at the scriptures and uh, you know, think of Elijah against the four hundred fifty prophets of Baal. Uh, but but when we have God uh, in the presence of God, everything changes. The the strength that we have in Him, and this is making this is saying that God is providing for them when they needed. He provided a plentiful rain. That we understand when God provides the rain and the sun, we're going to get good crops, you know, healthy and full. The same is true for our souls. When when we go through those times that God is providing for us and He's He's nourishing our souls. We can trust him to get us through those situations. So, you know, God's provision, his goodness for the poor is what is the focus uh, here. You know, give us this day our daily bread, right? When that 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 model prayer. Uh, I grew up Catholic, and and so growing up Catholic, that was the thing. Like when you say, you know, when I would go to bed at night, I would say, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name," and I'd run through it really quick and done. Chip stamp, all taken care of, right? Never really got into the the Hail Marys. I just I didn't. Um, uh, I I just I was just encouraged. My mom's like, you want to pray? You know, here here here's what you should say. You know, and she shared with me. You know, the best that she had learned, and uh, you know, my dad the same. And you know, just we can run through that and just be and 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 say it. But when we understand that giving us our, this day our daily bread, what they're praising God for is is the. Uh, the, the provision uh, that God provided uh, when they needed it here. In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, I uh, had a discussion with a brother recently, and he was sharing how this verse had, had uh, ministered to him. It says, Remove the falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the, f with the food allotted to me. 
lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Don't give me too little that I would steal. Don't give me too much that I'd forget you. You know, just keep me right in that comfort spot, that, that middle ground where we need to be. That I'm not scraping by and I'm not having to steal, but also that I don't have so much that I don't see a need for God. That, that's a, a, a wonderful thing uh, in the Proverbs that we can find. That, that, that sweet spot of reliance upon God and praising him for his provision for us. Verse 11 says the Lord gave uh, gave the word the great was uh, sorry great was the company of those who proclaimed it kings and armies flee they flee and she who remains at home divides the spoil though you lie down among the sheepfolds you will be like the wings of a dove covered covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold when the almighty scattered kings in it it was white as snow and as snow and Zalman and a, a mountain of God is the mountain of uh, Bashan and uh, sorry, a mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. You know, great. Uh, when you, when you look at what we're seeing here, great is uh, great was the company of those who proclaimed it, proclaimed what uh, the Lord gave the word. So those who are proclaiming the word, uh, there's a great responsibility and honor to proclaim the word and, uh, you know, blessings in it and that come from it. Uh, you know, God, it says here that he scatters kings, the powerful ones, uh, in bold until he judges them. You know, they can be bold. They can be prideful and everything until God judges them. Consider Saul of Tarsus until he met Christ on the road to Damascus, right? He had all kinds of blasphemous things to say and and uh, things to do against the gospel. But once he met up with God, his life changed right then. And his eyes blinded and everything. He spent three days not being able to see. You know, God changed him. He was bold and he was um, in a point of, uh, of, of uh, pride and, and, and arrogance against the church. And, uh, and God uh, met up with him and, uh, and things were brought down. Uh, he he was brought down. Verse 16 says, Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? <clears throat> this is the mountain which God uh, desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of those of, of God are 20,000, uh, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. You know, fume with en envy, mountains of many peaks. And then it goes on to say, chariots uh, were like you know when when you consider when he's speaking about chariots uh, the the might that came from a chariot you know chariots were swift and powerful and you know when you're talking about a, a horse you ever been you have ever seen a Belgian horse uh, Alan Ashmore has has two Belgian horses they're massive there's so much muscle and you're like man I don't want that thing coming at me right and think about those things in full speed coming at you, you are done that thing's gonna mow you right over. Right. Consider uh, the strength that's in a in in one chariot. It says uh, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. You know, chariots, you know, we could say you know, today be like tanks. Right. Well, here come all the tanks at full speed. Like, oh, <laughs> how are you going to get out of the way of that? Verse 18, you have ascended on high. 
You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the Lord, the God of our salvation. You know, that he led captivity captive. There's no more power over us in, in God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When Christ took captive, when he ascended on high, he took he led captivity captive. Right? There's nothing that, that can hold us captive anymore if we are in a proper relationship with Christ. Where it's saying uh, here, then it goes on to say, uh, uh, I lost my spot here. That the Lord might dwell there. Oh, blessed uh, be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Daily loads us with benefits. You know, we'll, uh, we'll make career decisions based on benefits, right? You ever, you ever been like, okay, I'm trying to figure out these two jobs. This one's got this benefits package. This one has this one. Which one am I going to do? You know, and we'll, we'll calculate those things. We'll think, is this going to be the one that needs to provide for me? Move that all aside and consider that for our soul. What do we need? The benefits for our soul, right? And, and what God can provide for us. What are the benefits he has for us? They far outweigh what the world does. Freedom from sin and addiction, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, those fruits of the Spirit that, that, that come from our lives uh, as a result of us having a relationship with the Lord. I was a little long-winded, so I'm going to try to get through these 10 verses fairly quickly here um, so that we don't uh, go much over on time, but I don't want to stop in the middle of a psalm. It's kind of a weird stopping, stopping point. Verse 20 says, Our God is the God of salvation, and God the Lord, be, uh, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Speaking of the preservation of life, salvation of our soul, both of those things are found in God, that we can find salvation in Him and preservation of our, our, our lives can be found. Those two both combined together can be found in God. Verse 21 says, but God will wound the head of his enemies, their hairy scalp, uh, scalp as uh, uh, scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that your foot may crush them in blood. Uh, and the tongues of the dogs may have their portion from their enemies. Ugh. <laughs> like heads being crushed, dogs eating. Like there's there's a lot being said here. Just look back to Genesis 3.15 where it says, you shall bruise his head, this prophetic uh, regarding what Christ would do to the enemy, right? You shall bruise his head and he shall bruise your heel. Where it's talking about uh, the, the wounded head of the enemy. Now when it's talking about a hairy scalp, it might be referencing when, when warriors in those days would have long hair to an, an, an uh, intimidate uh, their their enemies, their opponents. But but the focus here is God's power over his enemies displayed. These are not flatteries, what we're reading here. That they would be taken out, eaten by dogs, it's, uh, that God is going to take care of the battles for them. Verse 24 says, They have seen your uh, procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players 
uh, on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations. The Lord from the foundation of Israel. Uh, there is little. There is little. Uh, there is little Benjamin, their leader. The princes of Judah in their company. The princes of Zebulun. The princes of Naphtali. Uh, your God has commanded your strength. Strength, strengthen, O God, what you have done for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings will be presents to you. you know, God's enemies seeing the celebration uh, procession to God's glory and not Israel's. The singing, the music, all the things that would happen. Everyone was blessing him uh, for what he had done. And uh, when, when they're, and they're singing of, of the, the blessings that God had given them and the strength that he had given them. That, uh, you know, your God has commanded your strength. You know, all these these territories that are mentioned here and strengthen, O oh God, uh, what you have done for us because of your your temple at Jerusalem. Kings will be presents for you. Everyone blessing him for what he has done. Verse 30, rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herds of bulls with the calves uh, of the people till everyone submits himself with the pieces of silver scattered uh, scatter the people who delight in war. So God pulling into submission, uh, all into submission to him, those who would be oppressors. You, know, you think of an oppressor uh, would be somebody that you would consider strong, like a beast or a bull. Uh, there shouldn't be uh, any delight. It says here, scatter the people who delight in war. There should never be a delight that a war is happening, right? Because what do you think about in war? Who are the ones that suffer? The poor, right? The needy. Uh, war is expensive, and it kills people, and it creates orphans and widows. Right? Those uh, they they lose those tragedies take place. You know, widows and, and orphans are made. All those things. You know, there shouldn't be any delight in those. We're going to finish up right here. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Former foes will become friends. Verse thirty-two says, "Sing to God." You kingdoms of the earth, oh, sing praises to God, to him who rides on the heavens, the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, the mighty voice of God. They're, they're singing of his majesty. His majesty shakes the earth. When you when you reflect on what's being said in verse verses 32 and, and, and 33, that singing of God's majesty uh, and that he is so powerful, he shakes the earth with his mighty voice. Verse 34 says, Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is, his, is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. You know, blessed be the awesome and powerful God who works, fights on our behalf that provides us uh, for us and keeps us. Amen? Amen. God, we are grateful that you uh, take care of the things that need to be taken care of in our lives, that you provide for us, that you love us, and you fight on our behalf. Help us to trust in you and follow you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all, and grace and peace to you as you go into uh, this coming week.